Go ahead and you flip it back on now. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it That's, that's what we're seeking, isn't it? Perfect peace and rest. Amen? All right. Is this on or not? Let's see here. Well, obviously not working here. Oh, there we go. We got it. All right. Very good. So that's what we're seeking. I know that's something I battle with. I'll be honest with you. I'm always trying to find that perfect peace and rest. Amen? That's what I'm always working at. 
And it's not always as easy as it is at times. I mean, sometimes there's some struggles along the way, but we have to find our place in Jehovah or the Lord Jesus Christ, really. It's funny, when you see that word Jehovah in the Old Testament, you recognize that it's the Lord Jesus Christ working and operating there. It's an interesting thing. Christ is all throughout the Word of God, and we need Him desperately. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. My brother Ankram had used these verses. I was kind of, I've been in the process of memorizing these, and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to try to quote the, the verses, although I, those are the ones I am memorizing. I still find that I forget certain words every once in a while, and I, don't, I can't flow with them yet. You ever notice when you're memorizing things, you've got, uh, you got it down pretty good, but it's probably not the thing you want to do in front of hundreds of people. And so that's kind of where I'm at. So I think I'll read these tonight, and we'll go from there. But uh, I'm trying to string a couple of... Can I give a piece of advice, or this may be my own opinion, to some of the young people now? Uh, You know, some of you that are younger, that um, uh, you're wanting to do something with your life, you're wanting to be able to help people uh, with the Word of God, don't learn just one verse. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Try to string verses together. Try to do like three or five verses together so that there's context to what you're saying. You can always go to it and you can share it in its context. You can quote the script. and get. I'm just going to be frank with you. That's much more impressive too. Not that our goal is to impress people, but it's important that people believe you have an answer. And so when you start taking one verse and you say, well, here's what the Bible says, and you pull it out, somebody can say, well, that's just your interpretation of that verse. But you quote three or four verses, they're thinking, man, this guy or gal knows what they're talking about. It helps give you a platform already, and it gives you context to what you're trying to express and say. And I'll tell you what, it helps you in the long run. And again, there's nothing wrong with learning a verse, but I think you'd be best to learn it in context a little bit, maybe an extra verse or two along the way. And it is helpful. And if I I wish I would have done that earlier in my days. I'm I'm doing, I walk and I quote scriptures. I, I go under the tent when nobody's around and I stand there and preach verses that I've memorized. Someone says, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I know. But, I, I mean, it's fun. I like it. I do. I enjoy that. And uh, I, I don't, if somebody comes around, I shut up real quick because I guess I'm just like, I'm embarrassed. You know, it's like, oh, he caught me talking to myself, you know. But I, I'm really not. I'm preaching, you know what I mean? I'm having a good time. But anyway, 2 Timothy, here we go. That's just a little thought. And again, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying that's a little advice. That's kind of maybe something I think you might want to give some consideration to. But 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Um, 1 Timothy, wait. You know what? I got it weird. I, I wrote, <laughs> yeah, I'm learning one in 1 Timothy too. Okay, so it is, um, it's, it's 1 Timothy chapter, wait, it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm learning 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4, okay? Uh, It's kind of weird. Okay, I got you, okay? But I'm only learning two verses in 1 Timothy 4. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here we go. Let's try it again. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, 
and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. <clears throat> I'm going to share over the next few weeks uh, something that I'm going to call be faithful. Just be faithful. You know, although he would become one of the greatest inventors in history, Thomas Edison's school career lasted about three months. And it's kind of hard to imagine, but his teacher believed that he was incapable of learning. She, his teacher didn't think that he could even, he could learn anything. And so the teacher sent him home. Well, thank God for a mother that believes in their children, you know. And Edison's mom began to teach him at home. And as a result of that, he overcame some of the obstacles that he faced early on in his life. Again, this would be the, only the first of many obstacles that Thomas Edison would ultimately triumph over. Among his most famous inventions were the commercial incandescent light bulb, the phonograph, and the fluoroscope. Most of his inventions, however, required months, if not years, of dedication to overcoming obstacles before they ultimately saw any kind of results. In a 1921 interview, Edison, he described his persistence this way. He said, quote, After we had conducted thousands of experiments on a certain project without solving the problem, one of my associates, after we had conducted the crowning experiment and had it, had proved a, it had proved a failure, expressed discouragement and disgust over having failed to find out anything. I cheerily assured him that we had learned something. But we had learned for a certainty that the thing couldn't be done that way and that we would have to try some other way. What an unusual yet wonderful perspective. I don't hear too many people talking like that in the midst of what we would ultimately label failure. But we would find that very few real significant and valuable achievements ever really come to pass without overcoming a number of obstacles. See, the story of almost every overnight success is actually the story of somebody that continued to persevere in the face of great difficulty and disappointment. Now, there's little doubt that if a believer is going to ultimately overcome the flesh, if they are going to ultimately finish with faith, they are going to have to face a number of obstacles along the way. That is a reality of life. And we are admonished throughout the scriptures to be faithful. And so Paul is found here admonishing Timothy, his son in the faith, to be faithful. Now, as Paul comes to a conclusion to this particular letter, 2 Timothy, we know that the executioner's axe is looming. We know that he's coming to the end of his life. We recognize that he's no longer going to be writing very, very uh, uh, much longer. He's done. He's finished. His life is over. Paul has recognized this. He even states it. And now we see him making his final plea to Timothy. So he's challenging his son in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
there is a sense of urgency to Paul's words now. He is challenging in a way that he hasn't done before. He is desperate to leave a legacy, a legacy of faith. So he seeks to encourage, he seeks to motivate. Why? Because the attacks had already started. The obstacles were already there. And so, he is charging Timothy now. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. That word translated charge is a very strong word. In Webster it says to entrust to as an officer is charged with dispatches. Timothy was being entrusted with a given, with, with say, a, a commission, if you will, a job to do, a responsibility, a solemn or sacred charge. He's being given this. And as we look at that passage, he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God. That word, therefore, is a compound word, of course. And in this particular case, it's kind of looking back and looking forward. He's looking back to what he's already said, and he's looking forward to why he's saying it now. And, and I think it's interesting here. Um, he wants Timothy to know that this charge was being made as a result of some things that have already been said and some things that will be said. He says, as a result of what I've already told you and as a result of some things that I'm going to say, I charge you then. And so he's given this charge now to Timothy. And he's saying, in order to fully understand why I'm giving it to you, you've got to look back. But you also have to look forward. And so this word, therefore, is an interesting word. And so I want to start talking about this idea of being faithful. Because what we're going to see here, and I'm gonna, I break this passage down into the five verses, and we start looking at it, and we recognize that there's some things we can learn. Number one, there's a coming judgment, and we're going to note that today. But in order to understand that, I want to look at this idea of therefore, a connection word that connects us back to the past, what he's already written, and then we're going to see what he has to say to him. So I want to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to look at the passage. We're going to go back to chapter 3, really, so that we can really grasp the therefore. Why, why, you know, I charge thee therefore as a result of, because of what I've already told you. And we want to look at some of that, all right, and see what we can't learn. Father, we come to you. We need you. As we think about being faithful, Lord, uh, we had a great week of a pastor, a preacher who really tried to just you know, really speak about that truth and encourage us to remain faithful in the face of obstacles. And we thank you for that. Lord, we're going to continue in that vein to some degree. We're going to try to learn what we can from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Lord, just pray that you'll use it, Father, as a blessing to our hearts. Encourage us from your word. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so again, we noted that he said, I charge thee therefore before God. Well, again, that word, as we noted, connects what has already been noted, with what he's now saying. And uh, so what did he say? Look back at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 
I think this is, uh, again, it's so important to recognize this. Okay, he's charging Timothy. He said, listen, I'm, about pre- I'm preparing to die. I'm going off the scene, but you're going to remain here. I need somebody to be faithful. I need somebody to follow through. I need somebody to keep up the work. And I'm charging you. Why am I doing that? Well, let's go back and look. He says, I charge you, therefore, Timothy, before God. Now, why? Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, breakers, false accusers, uh, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now, I charge thee therefore before God, Lord Jesus Christ, Timothy. Why? Okay, based on what I've already said, I'll tell you why. Because of the apostasy that's already crept in. I want you to understand, Timothy, that there's an apostasy and I'm charging you. This charge is going to be really important and I will get to that charge next time we talk. But right now he's saying I'm charging you. Why? Because of the apostasy. In verse one, in the last days, perilous times are gonna come. Without a doubt, it's going to happen, and it's already happening, he's telling them. Can you imagine in the Apostle Paul's day, this is already happening. We see apostasy already infiltrating the church. That's an amazing thought. Now, I'm just going to tell you, again, this is my position, my thought, okay? And, and I think that it's something maybe worth thinking about. We have a, a, a bad tendency in America, in the church in America, to somehow think, wow, look what's going on in our culture. Look what's happening in our society. Man, this is really getting bad. I mean, it's obvious that things are changing in our country. Man, I'm telling you now, the world is setting up for the rapture. Jesus Christ has to return. Look how wicked we're becoming, and look how away from God we've become, and, and, and consider the direction of our nation. Certainly God has to come back now. And Paul said it was already happening there. Now, a day is with the Lord is a thousand years. I'm not trying to discourage you from believing that the Lord could come back, because he could. He could come back tonight. I get that. But my point being is, God doesn't have to do anything because we think he should. And to be frank with you, it's been a lot worse in cultures and countries around the world as we speak over the last 200 years than it is in America right now. So if, 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 I mean, if it's just America that God cares about, then yeah, you better start getting out of your seat, God. It's time to come down. But can I tell you that it's been pretty bad around the world? Matter of fact, they're not fighting with whether or not they can wear a mask in the house of God. They're worried about whether they can even preach the gospel. And may I say it's important that we, right now, while we have the liberties we have, that we step up and start using them. So like David did when that edict was given and they said that you couldn't pray to no other God but to the king, we can say, hey, we didn't just start doing this now, king. We've been doing this. And I think it's important that we get busy out on those streets and that we do some things that make it visible that this is what we do. And when they say, you can't do that, we say, what are you talking about? That's what we do. And we have a higher authority. When I was in the military, uh, you, you did what you were told. If a sergeant told you to go uh, man a, a station or to take guard duty, uh, you say, well, I just got off. I don't care. 
Look at these. This is sergeant stripes. You're no sergeant. Get out there and do what you're told. And you're thinking, that ain't fair. You take your place on duty. You're hoping the captain shows up. Hey, Cap. Sir. Man, I've been stuck out here for four or five hours. Sergeant threw me out here. You're hoping he goes, soldier, get out of here. You, get up here. You want the next guy up to undermine the authority of the sergeant to some degree. You're hoping. He just says, that wasn't right. Go get that sergeant. Sergeant, uh, replace that man right now. Captain can replace me, see. He's got more authority than the sergeant has. He can tell the sergeant what to do. Can I tell you, there comes a point, and there will in America, where our government will think they have a right to tell us what to do, but there will be a commander-in-chief that will tell us, no, I trump, so to speak, and I'm not using that as a, but I, because I, we used to use that term without people thinking we were weird. But anyway, I trump the authority of that guy. I, the government is not the authority. I am the authority. That one day will be a case. It's true now, but we'll, we'll actually exercise it. And then we'll have to endure the grief and the heartache and maybe the wrath of the government. And that might not be very comfortable in jail. But that's the way it'll go. See, in Paul's day, they, as Brother Ankrum so, you know, you know, really described, they were very unfriendly. So apostasy. Not only that, we know the appalling behavior. Look at what's happening here. Because of this appalling behavior, Timothy, I want you to be, I'm charging you. I'm giving you this edict. I'm telling you, you must do this. The appalling behavior, you can read about it. It's, it's terrible. You look at that, the, the behavior. Not only that, but the awful denial. In the end, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away, he says. Turn away from it. Man, get away from that. People that are denying the power of God. A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. This was all happening in Timothy's day. It's already taking place. And Paul says, I charge thee, therefore, before God. Why therefore? Because of what I've already told you. There's a need for this charge, Timothy. It's important. It's imperative. It's essential because we have a society that is apostate. We have appalling behavior and we have this awful denial of the power of God. Not only that, persecutions. Look at verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, he says. He goes on to say, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now there's this charge that's going to be given to Timothy. Why? Because now we've got a problem with persecution in this, this society. People are being persecuted. Why? For living godly. Now in Romans 8, 20, 29, the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, to be conformed to the image of his son. He says we're to, to live godly in Christ Jesus, is what he said here. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. You know what I think he's saying? Those that are going to be Christ-like. If you're going to be Christ-like, living, as he says here, godly, in Christ Jesus, then you're going to be like Christ. You're going to be godly, not ungodly. And, and you know, so I think the Christ-likeness kind of narrows down 
uh, th this idea of what he's trying to get at or get across. So here's what I guess we could say. While on earth, what was Jesus' attitude toward his father? You want to know what godly is? You want to understand what that means to us practically speaking? It, it means that we need to be more Christ-like. And how does that look? Well, what's his attitude toward his father? How did he view life? How did Jesus view love? How did he view living itself? What was important to Jesus? What's important to Jesus? I say, I want to live godly. Well, then what was important to Jesus ought to be important to you. I mean, what his attitude toward the Father was ought to be my attitude toward the Father. If I want to be godly, then it means that my, my view of life, my view of love, my view of living is going to be like Christ. What were his priorities? What attributes define him as a man? Go through the scriptures and look at Jesus Christ. We know he was meek. We know he was kind. We know he was loving. We understand all those things. Hey, that's part of godliness. How did he react? How did he act? How did he think? How did he feel? How did he see the world and those in it? How did he respond to sin and the sinner? Those are all things that are important because so many times, again, we're, we've got this abstract idea of what godliness is. Godliness is this guy that, or gal that walks around and is always like, praise God, glory to God, God is good, God bless you, praise the Lord. That doesn't mean you're godly. I mean, you can put on airs, you can walk around dressed a certain way, you can talk a certain way even, you can put on the dog, as my grandma would say, but the fact is, is that godliness ought to be very evident in our life, and how do we know when we're really being godly? When our life aligns itself with Jesus Christ. It's not abstract, it's not just a feeling, it's not just, I feel God in me. See, the opposite of godliness then is what? Ungodliness. Now, how is ungodliness described in the Bible? Well, the Bible says over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Yeah, we're over there. We're pretty close, aren't we? Go ahead and turn there. Notice what it says here in 1 Timothy 1, 9. If you're in 2 Timothy, you go back just one book. <laughs> All right. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. I was trying to help folks watching live stream, not you, none of you. Okay, let me clarify. Okay, it's 1 Timothy 1, 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers. Wow. I mean, I'm just saying we're throwing out some pretty nasty words here, and it's all part of this group of, I mean, wow, I mean, ungodly and for sinners and unholy and profane, murders of fathers, murders of mothers, disobedient, lawless. It's grouped in there with all of that mess. Ungodliness can't be a good thing. I believe that ungodliness is best described in the Bible by pointing out a few examples. 
And those few examples are found in the pre-flood world, and they're found in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to look at a couple verses, 2 Peter 2, and uh, and we're going to look at verses 5 and 6, because he puts them together here. Now watch what he says. And spared not the old world, talking about uh, pre-flood days. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So if we want to understand what ungodliness is, let's go back to Genesis and let's look at the pre-flood world. Let's look at uh, that before the deluge, what it looked like and, and how people responded and how they act and what the context of the society was at that point. And I think that we'll find that it's not very good. Matter of fact, it's got a lot of similarities to ours. Not only that, in 2 Peter, again, chapter 2, a verse later, it says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an insample unto those that after, uh, those that after should live ungodly. I mean, he's just saying, listen, I just want you to understand, if you're going to live ungodly, guess what you have to look forward to? The same thing Sodom and Gomorrah did. So I got to believe that things that were going on there and in the pre-flood are things that the ungodly are capable of and often involved in. See, there's this godliness and there's ungodliness. You're either godly or ungodly. Now, here's the thing. We don't like to think in terms of, 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 of absolutes, right? We like to think in, well, I'm not ungodly and I'm not godly. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm in the middle. Well, what does God say about that? Can anybody come up with a scripture that would talk about, I I almost don't want to say it because there's a song, The Man in the Middle. (laughs) There's a song, right? The Man in the Middle. But anyway, it's, it's a good song. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So we're not ungodly. We're not godly. We're in the middle. Give me a scripture, somebody. Double-minded is a good one. That would be a good one, too. Absolutely. Yeah, right here. That's right. And what does he say he wants to do with those that are lukewarm? They're not hot. They're not cold. They're just lukewarm. What's the, what's the answer? Spew them out of his mouth. Now, listen. If that's the case, I think it's important that we make a choice. What are we going to do? And I don't think really that we ought to even be flirting with the idea of ungodliness. So we ought to make a conscious effort to be godly and to walk godly and to live godly and to be godly. In Timothy's day, unfortunately, this was a problem. And he's telling them, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Can I tell you, we are quickly arriving at a place in America where that passage will finally come to fruition. Now listen, I understand someone says, well, I have a family member or I was at a a, a family reunion and, and I took a stand for Christ and people got mad at me. I get that, but I think the persecution he's talking about, if you go back in history, was a little bit more severe. I think those days are coming again. I don't know when. But I'm just saying, I believe they're possible. 
I think everybody, almost everybody in the room is going to get an opportunity to prove whether or not you'll stand for Jesus at some point here in the next 10 years. I feel like in the next 10 years, we, we can probably plan on some things happening. We'll find out if we're serious about this. Now, again, maybe that won't happen. Maybe it'll be 15 years. Maybe it'll be 20 years. Maybe it'll be 100 years. I don't know. But I'm getting this distinct feeling that we may be closer to, I used to say, without a doubt, my children will endure that kind of persecution, of, you know, possibly end up in jail. I'm thinking about Brother Josh and, and, and some of my children. I think if they're taking a stand, they could end up in jail one day. Hey, you know what? I think I could yet. Now, I really do. I think it's accelerated. It's accelerated so much. Now, I'm not saying that to scare anybody. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because the grace of God was sufficient in that day. It'll be sufficient in our day too. And by the way, don't worry about the fact if you're worried about that and you think, well, I must not have faith because I'm really, I don't want to go to jail. I don't either. Okay, but I do believe if I take a stand on behalf of Christ, he'll give me the grace to deal with it. Just like I believe when it comes time to die, he'll give you the grace to deal with that. He'll give you dying grace. He'll give us grace when we need it. He doesn't give it to you before you need it. He gives it to you when you need it. So don't worry about things like that. Don't dwell on them. Think on these things, remember? Now, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 again. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go there. I'll tell you what, do that, 422. Man, time's closing in, we gotta close it down. But, but notice what he says here, and I'll, I'll try to move through this other stuff quickly, and we'll, we'll be done. Notice what he says, I think it's important. We're talking about ungodliness again, and I want to focus on this a little bit because this is the climate that Timothy's facing. As Paul's preparing to head off the scene, Timothy is entering the scene, so to speak. I know he's already pastoring the church at Ephesus. He's, he's uh, already rooted in there. He's trying to grow the church and be a good preacher and a good Christian, but he's young in the faith in comparison. Paul's leaving this earth now, and Timothy, his protege, is going to take his place, basically, in a sense. Not Paul's place as a writer of the book of the Bible, but just as a, leaving a legacy of faith. Just like some of these young men will step into pulpits in America. They'll take the place of an older man like myself down the road. And right now I'm extremely young and healthy, very vibrant. Okay, so anyway, I'm glad some of you agree, but I think I have a few of you fooled then if you agreed. But anyway, uh, we're moving there quickly too. He says in Ephesians 4.22, and so he's trying to prepare Timothy. Watch, he says, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So he sets us up here. Now, what, what, what are some of the characteristics of this deceitful old man, this, the lust of the, the flesh? He goes on, wherefore, Verse 25, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Let not that stole steal no more. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Isn't that interesting? Notice... And this is something we don't like to address and deal with much, but notice this. I think it's so amazing. 
He says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. You say, yeah, that's right. Okay, keep reading, though. Working with his hands the thing which is good. Why? That he may have, why? To give to him that needeth. What? Someone that works so I can help somebody else? What's the point? Well, that's no fun. No, he goes on, let not corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of that. See, I think we're seeing a picture of ungodliness. Now, let me ask you something. If I talk to your wife or husband, would they say you're more ungodly than godly? Or more godly than ungodly? And then let's really ask the question. Are we one or the other? Or are we in between? I mean, I'm just saying, it's important. Now, Timothy's... Paul's preparing Timothy. He's trying to let him know, I'm charging you, Timothy, and what he's going to charge him with is to preach the Word of God. That's what we're going to find out. Why in the world do you need to preach the Word of God? I'll tell you why, Timothy. Because this world has been turned upside down, he's telling him. Things have gone crazy. There's apostasy. There's appalling behavior. There's this awful denial of the power of God. There's persecution taking place. And the fact is, it's not getting better. It's getting worse, Timothy. So I'm charging you. And then he turns to the scriptures in verse 16 and 17, though. And he says, let me tell you something. Timothy, the Bible has the answers. That's why I can charge you, too. Boy, a message that doesn't include hope would be a pretty bad message, wouldn't it? But praise the Lord, there's a reason again. I I charge you, therefore, Timothy, I'm looking back and I'm telling you, remember what I told you already. Yes, we have a culture that is is full of of apostasy, appalling behavior and awful denial. Yes, there's persecution and it's only getting worse, it seems. But let me tell you, there's the scriptures. And in verses 16 and 17, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We say doctrine tells me what is right. Reproof tells me what is wrong. Correction tells me how to get it right. And instruction tells me how to stay right. Timothy's been blessed. As you go back into the passage here in chapter 3, you recognize the fact that he had a godly grandma and a godly mother. He had a godly heritage. Oh, his daddy... We don't have any indication as to him being saved. As a matter of fact, the implication is that he isn't, but his, his mother and grandma are. And they taught him the scriptures. From a child, he had been infected with the word of God, and it led him to an early conversion. Thank God for children getting saved. Someone says, yeah, well, so many of them have to come back by later and settle it. Nail it down. That's all right. They that seek me early shall find me. Let's keep giving them the truth. You keep putting them where they're supposed to be. God will take care of them. Work on it. It's all right. I charge thee, therefore, 
And then finally, we end up in our verse. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. I'm going to pass on sharing that. It's a little bit, I have a little bit of information I want to share. I want to explain to you what the quick is, what the dead is, and try to understand a little bit about that and how, what that actually means. And some of you already do know. I understand that. But we'll talk a little bit more about this. But what he's doing is he's saying, now listen, you're going to have to be, I'm telling you, Paul is leaving the scene. And he is trying to prepare Timothy to be faithful. And I'm going to be honest with you. When it's all said and done, you know one of the great tools that God uses to keep us faithful at times? Work. It's important. If you don't have a job you're doing for God, if you don't have a purpose for existing, as Brother Anklin was saying, if you don't, you're not doing something for God consistently, it's easy to drift. It's easy to lose the fire. It's easy to fall out of love. Aren't you about sick of people saying they fell in love? I'm sick of it. You want to know why? Because if you can fall in it, you can fall out. And I'm so tired of hearing women, more than men, but men too, that fall out of love. Stupid. It's not biblical. Jesus Christ didn't fall in love with you. He chose to love you. In spite of yourself. In spite of me, he chose to love me. Now listen. Did you choose to love him? Then you need to guard that. And he's telling, he's telling Timothy, I'm moving on. And it'll be just a few verses down. He's going to tell him, it's time for me to leave. And he's trying to prepare him. He's trying to help him understand you're going to have to be faithful. And I just want to encourage you, be faithful. Make up your mind to be faithful. You got the Bible just like Timothy did. Life isn't perfect. You and I both know that. Troubles and trials find us no matter what. But you know what? We have Christ. And we have his blessed book, the Word of God. Let's hold on to that book. Let's hold it close to our hearts. Let's cherish it. Let's let nothing, even a, let's let nothing get between him and his, us and his word. Hold him close, dear to your heart. Amen. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us. And Lord, we're thankful for the simple truths of the word. We're thankful, Father, for all you do. Now, again, Lord, as we move forward in, in this study uh, of just being faithful, Lord, help us to recognize what some of the obstacles were, as we noted already, that were being faced in those days, some of the difficulties they had to overcome. Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, may we understand that we're going to have a commission as well. We're going to be charged that all of us have a calling in Christ Jesus. And that, Lord, we need to fulfill that calling. And although things may seem grim at times, we have your word and we have your promise and we have your return to look forward to. And Father, one day we'll stand before you and give an account. Lord, may that move us and motivate us to stay faithful. Father, we need you tonight. We love you. We'll give you the glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all